Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to be a thought-provoking journey through the scriptures. Every weekday, my friend and fellow pastor Barney Estes and I walk through the Word of God verse by verse. As always, we'd love to know your thoughts about today's episode. You can hit us up at Pierce Point Church on Facebook or Instagram. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. So I guess we're rolling right into Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18, yes. which is this great story of the rich young ruler. We, uh, we talked about a great deal of things yesterday, including uh, this, this um, story of the Pharisee and the publican and, and how, uh, how we have to understand that we are a people who need the propitiating work of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We need him to, uh, to buy us out of this situation. There's nothing we can do. So as we roll into the rich young ruler, we're going to get into all of these questions about the cost of following Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what stands out to you? Well, the first thing I think we've just uh, recently, th- during the whole thing, Jesus has been teaching his disciples about faithfulness as it regards money. And he says, you know, no servant can serve, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll, he'll hate the one and love the other or will be devo- devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Uh, but in this story, he, they have a little bit of a, uh, an object lesson, if you will, to, to learn because they, they've come upon or has come upon them a, uh, a guy that's uh, wealthy, extremely wealthy. Yes. And uh, so we'll jump right in. Yeah, so we're dealing with wealth. We're dealing with um, a young man here. And I think what we'll see as we go through it is we're not dealing with a young man who is uh, questioning Jesus per se, but rather asking him a very genuine question. Mm-hmm. And we'll see this as we go. So verse 18 starts, a, a ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, we're going to be delving into that that question here in a second. But Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. And here is Jesus's uh, large picture um, command to the man, come follow me. Mm -hmm. And when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Now, before we get into the rest of it, let's just think about those, those first pieces there. Yes. Exactly. Well, I, I think, first of all, he's called a ruler. The Greek word for that is archon, and it could mean any, anyone in, a, in, a, in an administrative authority, a leader, or, or an official. That would have been the same name that they would have given to somebody in the Sanhedrin, uh, the high Jewish court. They, so we, we don't know what his actual title was, his role was, but we know that he was, a, he was wealthy and he was, had some type of authority. So he's coming to him, and he and he says something to Jesus. He he uh, when he uh, addresses him, he uses a term that no one else has used up to this point. Uh, good teacher uh, is what what he said, and and Jesus uh, addresses that first. Yeah, and it, it was a unique title, not one I the. There is, there's not another instance in any of the Talmud or anything where Jesus or of any rabbi being addressed as good teacher or good master. Yeah. So this was this was definitely an interesting uh, uh, address or the how he actually thought of Christ. We'll kind of get more into that, but that's the first thing that stood out to me. Yeah, it's an obscure title, without doubt. Uh, we don't see it anywhere else. But one of the things that really I think is important in our study of Scripture is that uh, humans being called good is not uncommon, mm-hmm. actually. Um, we we know what Romans 3 would tell us. We know that 
uh, there is no one righteous, no, not one, and, and those ideas. But we have to understand the, the point that is being declared in, say, Romans 3. The point is, no one in and of themselves is righteous before God. But what have we seen up to this point in Luke's in Luke's writings? We've seen people like Zacharias, who is said to be a righteous man, mm-hmm. a good man. Um, we've seen Mary, who is who is seen this way uh, in earlier uh, earlier instances. We hear Jesus giving parables or stories. He says that a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. Uh, so so right there, when we talk about the the parable of the of the soils. We talk about good soil. Nobody in Jesus's day was too overtly panicked about him saying good. Jesus seems to be wanting to draw his attention to something else as if he's saying, as if he's actually saying to this young man, who are you saying that I am right now, mm-hmm. right? Because he says, good teacher, and his response to him, no one is good except God alone. Well, of course, we have all of this expression in Jesus's own words and, and everywhere else in scripture that talk about a good man obtaining favor from the Lord and all of these things. So what actually is Jesus getting at? Is he making a statement that says, there's no good human? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure that that's what he's getting yeah, exactly. at. Yeah. I think what he's doing is he's wooing this young man, and I think we're going to make some connections, especially with the man's question of what must I do to inherit eternal life. We're going to make some connections here in a second that that show us that Jesus is kind of wooing him to say, who are you Who are you saying that I am right now? Because mm-hmm. you don't seem to know me mm-hmm. yet, right? Mm-hmm. So no, it's, no, just it's an interesting Exactly th- right. Idea. And it is, uh, his question was one that is really uh, a thought-provoking question because he's asking about eternal life. And eternal life is a subject that has all kinds of, it, it conjures up all types of things in our mind. We think of life after death. In, in our world, that's, that's basically all that we think of. We think of eternal life as something that goes on after we physically die. But we, and we talked a little bit about this earlier today, the the just an interesting insight comes from uh, from the word the uh, Greek or the Hebrew word eternal life uh, eternal kaiem uh, eternal life was kai a olam which was understood by the Jews in Jesus' time this this phrase often uh, while it had had an understanding of life after death. It often had a different a different emphasis, and it was a um, as it was contrasted with a kaye sha'a, which was the fleeting life or things that were not eternal. But living that that life in Jesus' day, and especially to their to their culture, did not just uh, did not just bring up thoughts of what happens to you after you die. Uh, they believed that. Living, you could live, and it, the part of the eternal life was living in the life that they were in right there. It refers to living a life focused on matters that had eternal importance to them. And that changes his question a little bit to me. It changes what he's asking. Uh, without doubt. So so this young man is, is asking Jesus, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And when we when we think about that that. Hebrew term, uh, what would what would be the Hebrew term if transliterated, would would sound something like olam or, or something like mm-hmm. this for eternity. Um, we see it used over and over in places like Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes three eleven says, "He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into uh, man's heart." So this idea of eternity here. Uh, seems to be communicating something more than just the great by and by. Yes. He's put eternity into man's heart. Yet so, uh, Ecclesiastes goes on, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I, I love that the, the magnitude of this is really important. Or in Jeremiah 20, verse 11, it says, But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors... 
will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. So with this word eternal, we seem to be indicating something a little bit bigger than just, I want to get to the great by and by here. It's, it seems to be more yeah, than that. Yeah, completely. And we and, and we we think about this as as our 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 only reward is how we what we get after we die and and that's not what Jesus necessarily taught right. listen to what he says to what in John 17 1 through 3 Jesus said he spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven he said father this is the great high priestly prayer father the hour has come glorify your son that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that, you may, that, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now that is some insight into what Jesus said about eternal life. There's nothing in that that necessarily denotes life after death and uh, uh, and and it looks like there was really only one way to get it that's yes. knowing God yes. and knowing his son yeah and I, and I believe that the, the answer in all of this is actually in the knowing John says to us very clearly this is eternal life yes. to know and so um, what what seems to be happening here is that this man comes to Jesus and he says, I am, I'm a Jewish man. I, I know about eternity. I know about the tree of life, for example. I know what, what Genesis would tell us. I know that we as, a, as people have been separated from that tree of life. Um, I know the story. I get that. But I've done all of these things, and I yet I still feel like I'm not there. I still mm-hmm. feel distant from this. So, so he says, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Let's trans. Let's let's translate that through John's language. What must I do to know God? Yes. What must I do to actually know God? Jesus says to him, "Why do you call me good?" Of course, we'll we'll contend with that here in a second, right? No one is good but God alone. That is why I believe he's actually wooing this young man to say, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is in some ways saying, you're looking at eternal life. Yes. You're looking at your answer right now, but you can't quite see it. He's, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. But verse 20, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the man answers, and I don't think this man is being arrogant. I don't think he's being brash. Uh, we'll see it in another uh, in another um, rendering of this story that Jesus actually looks on this man with compassion when he when he shuts him down, when he turns him down, uh, because. Jesus loved him. I mean, he was really mm-hmm. effect, he really cared for this man and the bad decision he was making, honestly. But um, he says, all these things I have kept from my youth. I don't think he's bragging. I think this guy is really that guy. But just like many of us, we can follow all the rules and yet not feel as though we're connected with life. Mm-hmm. We cannot feel that sense of genuine life. I shared uh, this past Sunday in the sermon that um, that we are not just called as Christians to the thou shalt nots. We are called to the thou shalts. We are called to subdue the earth. We are called to be fruitful and multiply. The the command or the mission that God had us on was ruling and reigning as image bearers, bringing glory to him effectively. Um, When we make all of the Christian life about just making sure we, we keep the thou shalt nots, we are left with this really strange emptiness. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. keeping rules, but but we're wondering: do, do I have a relationship with God? Am I? Is there an intimacy here? I hear people talk about this. You know, I'm just giving a hypothetical. But somebody says, somebody would say, I hear about people people talking about their relationship with God. Why don't I feel that relationship? I think this is what this rich young ruler is going through. Yeah. I think he's doing all the right stuff. That's all great, um, but he he 
And he's done it since his youth, but he doesn't seem to have that connection. And Jesus tells him, one thing you still lack, mm-hmm. and the answer is, you, you still lack following me. Yes. It's, yes. This, is, this is not to be understood. I mean, we know we're saved by grace through faith. This is not to be understood. One thing you still lack, do this and you can earn your way to heaven. Yes. That wouldn't make any sense. No, no. So, no, we'll see. Give we'll, me some thoughts. It, there's some more on that coming, but, but yes, I, I love the idea that uh, that talking about this is not just a list of do, do's and don'ts. And uh, I, I, I'm going to date myself here, but Dallas Holm once said, <laughs> and that's been many years back, he said, if it's just do the do's and don't do the don'ts, then it's just a list. And if we just check it off a list, nothing has any meaning to it. And that's exactly what you said. It it's It is interesting that, that Jesus didn't... Uh, he, he didn't say when this man said, all these things have I kept, don't, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Jesus didn't say, now wait a minute, you haven't done any of those things. No, he didn't, he didn't dispute any of that. And, 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 and this man was pretty clear. He, had, he didn't say, well, I think I've done all these things for my youth. He said, all these I have kept yeah. from my youth. And it, it's, it, it's still... It, this man was still, as you well said, it, these he was empty inside. Keeping the commandments had not caused him to know God. He Absolutely. did not know God, and that's that seems to be what he was asking for. We we could say we could look at this and say, hey, this man was following all the rules, and so if I follow all the rules, I'll be fine. You can see that that's simply not the case here. Absolutely. This is a this is a prime example of following the rules doesn't get yeah. you there. I think there's also the the important idea of what uh, Jesus does not say, <laughs> because in it, there's a lot that we could we could think about with what Jesus does not say here. But the thing I want to zero in on is that Jesus doesn't sound like a modern preacher when the man says. Uh, you you know the Jesus says you know the commandments do not commit adultery do not murder do not steal right uh, a modern preacher wouldn't even brought those up mm. a modern preacher would say uh, why do you call me good no one is good but God alone uh, you know what what you need to be saved it's it's by grace through faith of course that's true mm-hmm. of course that's true but Jesus doesn't have a problem with his commands and I think that that's important for us to remember so the man says all the things these things I've kept from my youth Jesus doesn't bait and switch here and say aha I got you you think works are going to earn you this Jesus actually adds one more to the yeah, list yes he says well one thing you still lack follow me you you could do all the rules, but if you're not following after the God who gave them, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you're not walking after this, this is just doing the do's and not doing the don'ts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So he Jesus actually points out, he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't challenge the man. He doesn't say you're a liar. You don't do those things. He actually just accepts it and says, well, there's one more thing that you still lack. And yes, he does command the man to sell all his possessions, distribute it to the poor, so that he will have treasure in heaven. But the command he's giving here that he lacks is to follow him. Why do we why do we know that? Well, this is the this is a rich young ruler and his wealth who he's serving, God or mammon, who he's serving is getting in the way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? It's mm-hmm. a block to what's going yes. on here. So Jesus is not saying, um, here's how you have eternal life. Sell your possessions distributed to the poor. That's that's just another law to keep, right? Yeah. If that was what he was yeah. intending. That's not what he's intending. He's saying, I want you to put me first. I want you to put this stuff behind you. Yes. I want you to move after me. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, I love the fact that you brought out the, the things that Jesus did not say, because this is, this is, this is so uh, good to see that what he's saying when he's saying, the one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. That was the thing that was, was keeping him from following Jesus. Absolutely. That, that was the thing. Now we have people in our world today that will say, well, that uh, that shows that it's very hard for rich people to get into heaven, and they're not going to be. Uh, and and God wants you to be humble and modest and poor, and 
we're going to see in the very next story that that's not necessarily the case. Yes. We, we're, we, there's so many scriptures that prove that to be wrong. Yes. We know that Abraham was very wealthy. We know that Solomon was one of the wealthiest men alive. We know that there are many, many others that you can name. So this is not about the man's riches. <laughs> let, me, let me say this carefully because it almost sounds like a contradiction. It's not about the man's riches keeping him out of heaven. It's about the man's riches getting in the way of following Jesus. Yes, yes. That's the problem. Yes. And when we run this all through the filter that eternal life really is knowing Jesus and knowing the Father, uh, is his riches are standing in the way of knowing. Yes. That's, yep. that's the issue. Even, honestly, even to ask the question, what's standing in his way of heaven, is for us to think with a modern mind. Yeah. That's just not it's the not issue it. here. The issue here is what is preventing him from a relationship with God. And here, here I think is what is, here is an important idea when we're weighing this. We, we often talk about this, um, Christians talk about this uh, through a question like, this. What, what's your rich young ruler moment? I remember, I remember hearing this in, a, in a, a study that I went through years ago, very valuable study called SFL. And, and the question was, what's your rich young ruler moment? What, what is this moment in your life? Well, it, for me, quite honestly, it, it doesn't have very much to do with wealth. Okay. You'd have to have that to give it away. Yes. (laughs) Right. So the idea though, is that this, this question is still presented to each and every one of us. What is standing in your way Mm -hmm. of following Jesus? Jesus just Previous to this, in, in one of our earlier podcasts, we, we remember Jesus saying, let the dead bury their dead. We remember Jesus saying, he, he who puts his hand to the plow can't look back, right? If you look back, you're not worthy. Uh, the, we, we've heard Jesus say, measure, weigh the cost. If you're going to build a tower, you're not going to start with half the money and then only get halfway done and look like a fool for your friends, in front of your friends. The, the reality here is Jesus has been telling them about weighing the cost. And, and what all of this means. And every time those costs were varying costs. Sometimes, like in this situation, it's his money. In other people's situation, it's their, it's their family. Yes. And, and Jesus would not say, hey, I want you to love your husband or love your wife, but I want you to actually leave them to come follow me. That Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But Jesus has already said, if those people are standing in your way, uh, so that you won't give yourself to him, mm-hmm. you have a deeper problem. Mm-hmm. And in that scenario, what you would be dealing with would be a family member who says, don't put your faith or trust in Jesus. Don't walk after him. Stay back here. That faith, that that religious nonsense is just that. It's nonsense. Stay away from it. Jesus is going to deal with each of us on in our rich young ruler moment. Yes. For, for some of us, it may be mammon. It may be money. Uh, but it's not that for everybody. No, it's and, not. And to make it that is just miss, to miss the point. It, it's exactly that. There are two mistakes that are easy to make in, in this. And I love that you started off this about the things that are not said. One of the mistakes that could be had, and people do it a lot, and you and I have both seen this, is to believe that this sell all that you have and dis- distribute it to the poor applies to everyone. That Jesus made this a general command is exactly. this is how you get to get to heaven or get to know me. That's a mistake because it's clearly not. The second mistake is that it doesn't apply to anyone. Obviously Amen. it does. Amen. <laughs> There's a second problem. People think, well, God doesn't want me to do that. Well, we don't, we, we don't know that. We don't know. It's, it would be a mistake to say that it applies to no one because obviously here it applied to this man. Exactly. We see what Jesus says happens when he dis, when he'll sell, if he'll sell his possessions. We find out he doesn't. But if he would sell his possessions and distribute it to the poor, the result of that is treasure in heaven. The result of that is a mm-hmm. blessing. It, there's, a, there's a reward. There's a joy. And in heaven, what we're dealing with here is a language that would communicate in the presence of God. That, that's what we're dealing with. That's heaven, the throne room of God, the place where God is, is dwelling, right? And so, so 
what what happens with this selling of your possessions and distributing distributing it to the poor is simply a reward. What Jesus is calling this man to do is the thing that that money is preventing him from doing or his issues. Mm-hmm. And that's following, coming to know Jesus, which as you pointed out, knowing Jesus and knowing the Father, that is, according to Jesus' own prayer, that is eternal Life. This is this unique word that's being used here. Yes. So, so we've got to keep this in mind. And, and then we have to look at this reaction. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. That line right there shows us what was standing in his way Absolutely from right. following Jesus. It was his extreme wealth. But this was his extreme wealth. Mm-hmm. Yours could be your extreme devotion to your hobby. Yep. It could be your extreme devotion to your work. It could be your extreme devotion to your to your family, meaning that you will not make Jesus Lord over all of that too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this is this is a question we all have to wrestle with. And and it is it, it's it, it is notable and noteworthy to to know that when Jesus says to him to come follow me. It is, it's, it's exactly the same language that he used many, many times when he called his disciples. It was no different. He, wasn't, he was asking him to forsake everything that was ahead of Jesus or in the way of following Jesus. And I, I, I cannot imagine. Now think about this. We, we have people like Matthew and Luke and Peter and, all, and Andrew and all those who heard those same words and said, yeah, I'm going to follow. This man heard the same words and became very sad because he knew there was something he was following yes. far closer than Jesus. Yeah. So you and I are working through a book called uh, Productivity by uh, Pastor Doug Wilson, and a uh, phenomenal book. And I believe that what we would see, what we do see in that book, and what we would see if we were talking to somebody like Doug Wilson, is we would hear him say, your money is a tool, yeah. Right. Your money is a tool. It is. If you make that tool an idol, we have a we have a serious problem inside of this. But your money is a tool um, for a couple of reasons. You know, in Luke six, we we hear these words: "Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full." Well, that's that seems like a warning against wealth. Mm-hmm. Well, that is if it is your God. In Luke chapter 8, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. There is a way that wealth can uh, choke out the maturity. Mm -hmm. But the scripture somewhere says this idea of, and I, I don't have the reference in my brain well enough right now, but the scripture talks about God being the one who gives you the ability to get wealth. Yes. Why would the scripture tell us that God gives us the ability to get wealth, but wealth is is so much of a problem that you shouldn't ever have it? Those would be contra- uh, contradictory points. God does give you the ability to get wealth. He gives you the wisdom to get wealth. The question, though, is how are you going to use it? Yeah. How are you going to use yeah. it? Are you going to use this as a tool for the kingdom of God? Are you going to use this as your idol? You're going to use it as a tool for your own selfish gain for those things. For this man, the real challenge was his extreme wealth was something he wasn't willing to give up or to use as a tool for the kingdom of God. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. willing to go that way. That's a problem. I think it's ironic, Nathan, that one of the the, the, the parallel story is in Matthew, and and it seemed, if I'm not mis- mistaken, I think Matthew saw this firsthand. Matthew was right. there when this happened. Matthew was a wealthy man when Jesus called him. Yes, he was. I think it's ironic that there was the very one of the ones that had relayed this very story, had 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 wealth when Absolutely. Jesus called it. The, this this principle or this idea of is is something that I think is difficult for people to grasp, and I and it's difficult for for me, and not necessarily from a money standpoint, but what we what we have to understand or we have to really grasp in our mind is that God may challenge and require somebody to give something up for His kingdom that He still will allow somebody else to have. 
Yes. And, and, and people look at that and say, whoa, 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 God, that's not fair. That's not fair. Right. No, there are many people that, are, that will turn away from God because they forsake the very thing that he tells them to do, thinking it's not, not fair. Why, why, God, does he get to do that and I don't? Right. Why is that? that? That's amazing to me. Now, I can tell you that it, 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 it's a struggle that's real. It is some, it's not, this is a struggle that's real because we see it happen a lot. And God will not will allow some others to have something that He will not allow you to have. Yes, and and it's not. Uh, this is this is our obsession with fairness. This is our obsession yes. with thinking that everything needs to be equal in that respect. And it just it's simply not a biblical idea. You know, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew nineteen, where this story occurs, uh, where it occurs in Matthew's gospel, it says it says that a young man's the young man said to him. All these things I have kept. Uh, what am I still lacking? Okay. Yeah. What? In other words, in other words, he believed that there was something in him that was lacking that would garner that eternal life, that that peace that he wanted. And Jesus, by his questions, is trying to get him to know what he says in John's, you know, in John's account, the prayer that that eternal life is actually a relationship. But in twenty one, Matthew nineteen, verse twenty one. He says, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be, and this is unique to Matthew's gospel, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. very powerful. If you wish to be complete. Yeah. If you wish to be complete. The, the completeness of the, the human life is found in fellowship with the creator. Yes. That's how we're complete. Mm-hmm. This is in knowing, right? That's how we're complete. That's how we're brought to maturity in its full mm-hmm. sense, right? And so Jesus says, if you wish to be complete, follow me, mm-hmm. right? Now he says the same thing to him. He says, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, right? But if you want to be complete, here's the deal. You come and you follow me. Now, in Matthew's gospel, just like in Luke's gospel, it says, when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He was wealthy, okay? This man was not willing, and this, this is where it gets really staggering. What is preventing you from following Jesus is something that you say is more valuable than you being complete. Yeah. It's more valuable than eternal life. Yeah. It's more valuable than knowing creator God. Yeah. That is a, if, if we heard those words coming out of our own mouths, I think we would pause. Yeah. We would stop. Oh, yeah. The problem is we can live a life that believes that without ever saying it, and we're still in danger. That's a mm-hmm. that's a problematic situation. Just because you never utter, utter the words, I think this is more important than you, God. Mm-hmm. Your actions are showing that. And wow, that's just a sad yeah. place to find yourself. What, what, what a comparison it is between what God through Jesus has offered and, and what, what this man has taken uh, instead of that. It's it's startling. It's it's startling, but yet it's not because I can tell you that it is, it's a it's a struggle for many many people. Yes, many people. You know, in Matthew's gospel, it talks about this guy. Luke says that he's very wealthy, and Matthew's gospel indicates what that wealth is. He owned a lot of property. Um, we're gonna see we're gonna see in another account that Jesus tells this parable where somebody sells this piece of land and buys a field that contains a pearl of great price. This weird contrast that says, I'm willing to sell the things that are mine, that are worthless, to to come for the things that are God's, that are mm-hmm. eternally valuable, right? And so this is this man's problem. He is not willing to give this up. So uh, it's just a very staggering situation, and it, and I do think it's worth noting that the man was very sad, yes, because he seemed to be aware that he was that that he was in bondage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He actually seems to know himself that he's in bondage. I mean, if his money were 
were more important to the degree that he could care less about eternal life, two things would have happened. Number one, he would have never asked the question. And number two, he wouldn't be sad when he was told what to do. Right. But he is saddened because he realizes it's going to cost him yes. everything. Yeah. And so he's sad. He, yes. he He's realizing yeah. there's a problem. This here. is so hard. It, it's, it's a hard story to read because... This man knows that Jesus has just told him the truth. Oh, yeah. He knows that Jesus has just told him exactly what he lacked, exactly what it was. Because his, his question was a good one, and it was even noble in some sense. But he, and he has turned away from the one that has told him the ultimate truth. And, and, and I, I am amazed at verse 24, and Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Now, <laughs> this is another uh, scripture that can be applied in, in areas where it should not be applied. Jesus is clearly taught in other places, and, so, and it's throughout scripture, that riches can be an obstacle. It is not the only obstacle. It is one of many, many obstacles to someone following and knowing God. We, some, some, pe some people, it's poverty that's the obstacle. It's not riches, it's completely poverty. Right. So we, we uh, in, in, in 1 Timothy, uh, it's in 6, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This man was, this man was grievous, there's no doubt about that. But, but it was not... It, it, this can't be applied to everyone. This was for him at this yes, time. Yes, absolutely. I think I think to the um, the notion here that Jesus is willing to look at this man, straighten his eyes. Right, yeah. this guy's sad. He he's extremely rich. He he is genuinely asking Jesus this question, and it says, and Jesus looked at him and said. And, and he's not talking to anybody else. He's talking right. to this man. He says, how hard it is for those, you, how hard it is for you uh, who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he does say how hard it is, not how impossible it right, is. Right. And this is confirmed by his statement in this next piece, right? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I think we've debunked this a long time yes. ago, that this is not this is not a place, right? Yeah. The eye of a needle yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But, but we, we can talk more about that if you'd like. But my point here is that he, his point is to show a, an, a really challenging situation, yes. right? Not yes. an impossibility yeah. because he says it would be easier for this. Uh, so it's going to be very challenging. Now... They who heard this statement, right, camel through the eye of a needle and yeah. a rich man entering the kingdom of God, they who heard it said, then who can be saved? Yes. But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. In other words, it's possible. Yes. It's possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But what must he do? Yeah. Yeah. He, he must... He must follow Jesus. A absolutely, and, and you're right. This this language he used the the needle and the camel going through the eye of a needle, hyperbolic language. Jesus used it a lot. It's it, he's it, it, we, he's referred to the plank or the beam in in a, in a man's eye and swallowing a camel, and, and and both of those are in Matthew. So this is certainly hyperbolic language. There are some people that have used this to say there was a gate that the camel had to kneel down and all that stuff, and none of that, none of that. It, it seems to be. Valid. Uh, that yes. you may have another. You, there may be another source out there, but I, I think it's hyperbolic language. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, but but you're you're right that that the, the disciples or they who heard heard it. Now there are many commentators believe that this question, then who can be saved, came from the disciples. But it doesn't say that in the text. It just says that they who heard it said. Now, I don't know if that was only them, but it doesn't say. Right. I, I think I think we've get that 
I think we get the implied idea it comes from the disciples from other accounts in the gospel. Like, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. example, if we look, if we look to Mark's gospel, I just wanted to draw this out from earlier. Uh, when the man asks Jesus, he says, uh, when he tells Jesus, "I've kept all these things from my youth up, right, since my bar mitzvah, since so, yeah, my coming yes, of age, yes. you know, I've kept all of these things." Verse twenty-one says, "Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him." And yeah. said to him, now, I just love that line, yes. right? I, I love that Jesus was not put off by this man because I also believe that the man, I, I shared it at the beginning, I believe that the man's question was a genuine seeking question. I don't think he was testing Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was uh, I don't think he was questioning Jesus. I think he was asking Jesus a question, right? right. Uh, as I like to say. So, so the point here, though, is that Jesus felt a love for him and he said, one thing you lack, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. It's the same instruction every time. Here's the thing you lack, come follow me, okay? And your, and your treasures are in the way, but come follow me. 22 of Mark chapter 10, it says, but at these words, he was saddened. This is the rich young ruler. He was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. So that confirms what Matthew says. Verse 23, and Jesus said, and Jesus looking around said to his disciples, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know what that presents for people, and that is, well, maybe he wasn't talking directly to this man. All that we know from Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel is that he does at least turn his attention in some way Mm -hmm. towards the disciples when he carries on the rest of this. But this man hears him say, or is, is a part of the conversation in which Jesus says, how hard it is for you. Yes. For yeah. those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye yeah. of a needle. So so we've got to look at that. Now we can move on to this, who then can be saved question, because yeah. it's powerful. It, it is. And I, I think as I as I read this, and I, I think people, I I read this maybe a little different. I didn't, don't see any commentators or any articles on, on this the way that I saw it, but I, th- I thought these guys must have asked this because they were thinking, you know, I may have something that's keeping me from actually following Jesus. I may, I, I may have something that I'm putting over and above him. I, I don't. I, it, it seems odd that they would ask, "Who then? Who can be saved?" Well, Jesus said, "Those that follow me." He, he said, I've, "I've given you the answer." I'm not sure if they were addressing the 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 comment about the wealth, or if they were just addressing in general. How are we supposed to do this? Yeah, yeah. I do think it powerful to see that the connection that the disciples make of the man's question of eternal life mm-hmm. and Jesus's illustration is that they seem to believe eternal life and salvation are equated. Mm-hmm. And I believe they're right, and I believe that that is a right way to look at it. So when they say, then who can be saved? In other words, code language, then who can get eternal life? Salvation, Uh eternal life, knowing the Father, all of this is how this comes about. It's all relationship with with Jesus. So so I think that that's that's what's happening there, at least in my mind. I mean, that that would seem to be right because it is in the context of eternal life. That's the first, that was his first uh, question was about eternal life. And and so that would make And then they come down sense. and equate it later to salvation. So verse 27 he says but the things which are impossible with people are possible with God. The way we need to read this is important. It does not it does not mean that this man and any other person in the world doesn't have a step to take. Yeah. We all do. Repent and believe. Come and follow me. Jesus doesn't say um, Jesus doesn't say it's not only impossible for rich people to enter the kingdom of God, it's impossible for all people because you're all dead and can't mm-hmm. follow me. He doesn't say that, right? Mm-hmm. He says the things which are impossible for people are possible with God, meaning this guy couldn't gain himself eternal life by himself. He can follow me. 
He can trust me. He can walk after me. This is all language of faith, yes. right? He yes. can walk after me, but I'm the one doing the work yeah. here. I'm the one saving. I'm the one offering the relationship or eternal life. So when it says the things which are impossible with people are possible with God, um, if you took that for its, if you took that literally, you would have to go back a few verses and say, well, then why is Jesus telling him to follow yeah. him? Yeah. That's what he does. It's not what that meant no, in the scripture. It it was a walk of faith. It was a trust. It was a give God your heart and and follow after him. That's always yeah. what it means. Yeah. He's, show, he's shown him the way here. He has shown yeah. him the way and said, now, uh, on our own, there's nothing we can do to earn what Jesus has talked about here. Not a single thing. So in that, it is an impossibility. Absolutely. In that. But he said, but with it's possible with God. And I, I, that it's only possible with God. Amen. That's it. That's Amen. what he's saying. Yes. So then we have this really <laughs> funny uh, second half of this great story. Peter chimes in and he sounds, I'm not like no exaggeration. He sounds like yesterday's podcast of the, of the guy who's bragging on himself, yes, right? Yes. Peter says, we have left our <laughs> own homes and followed you. Like, you know, I, I tithe of all my dill, mint and cumin, right? What, what are you doing, Peter? So he says, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, I, I want Jesus to say, <laughs> Shut up, Peter. Yeah, exactly. Right, but but he he doesn't. What grace? What amazing truth that he displays. He says, "Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time, and in the age to come, eternal life." Uh, then he took the twelve aside and said to them, and he's going to go into this yeah. teaching, but. Give me some thoughts yeah. on this because well, this is interesting. I, I I think it is is very key because what comes next, I think, in yes. verse uh, uh, thirty one is going to give us a key to why Jesus answered the way that he did. It's 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 interesting that Jesus chose this point after. Peter has said, and, and, and Jesus has told him, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers, parents or children uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. It's, it's so notable that Jesus chose this point right after this to say, and by the way, we're going to Jerusalem. Yes, yes. And, and where he's going he's, he's gonna to be rejected, he's going to suffer uh, 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 death. He's, he's, they... I don't think that they understood what they were what what they were saying. I I I see that Jesus is telling is reminding them that they had, sure enough they had given up all to follow Jesus, but but they hadn't really given up anything yet. Yeah, there's more to come. There's more to come. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and if 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 what and and think about this, what he's just told them is in a sense saying, okay, they've made a pretty good investment, really. If you if a person could give up something and, re, and be repaid a hundredfold in this life, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good investment. There's no sacrifice in that. Right, right. There's no you're you're getting paid back more than you gave. So I I, I just love the fact that Jesus has said and we're going to Jerusalem. Yeah, it, it actually seems as though maybe Jesus is saying, okay, cool, you've done all that, kudos, pat on the back, Peter, is that what you want? Yeah, exactly. And then and then his response is, I'm going to give you these things, and I have to contend with verse 30 because yeah. it's a very important verse. He, he, he says, you know, sure, you're going to be, you're going to receive many times as much in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Um, but it seems that he puts this before them that says, good, you're going to, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. This is going to be great. Now sit down and shut up because what comes next is we got to go to Jerusalem and this is when this is when I'm going to face these trials and you guys are all going to scatter. Yeah. All of a sudden yeah. you're you're proud of yourselves right now. Yes. You're proud and saying we've done it. We've dropped everything. He goes true enough. Great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Right. There's coming a time when you're all going to run away. Yes. So let's wait to see that. So before we jump into that, let's look at verse 30. It says, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come mm -hmm. eternal life? Now, 
Here is why, as we began this podcast, defining eternal life as a relationship with God, defining eternal life as knowing God, as as being in covenant relationship with Jesus, with Messiah, and with His Father— The reason that's so important to define that way is because if we read this wrong, here's what we're reading. Mm. We're reading that these people left houses, wives, brothers, parents, and children for the sake of the kingdom. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to pay you all that stuff back. Well, some of them didn't get all of that stuff paid back. So is Jesus a liar? No, he didn't promise that stuff. He said, "You will uh, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Mm. You're going to receive many times as much eternal life, relationship, this covenant bonding, this this communion with me. You're going to experience this more and more in this life and in the age to come. And I will take care of all of the other things, but it doesn't quite make sense if he's promising them more brothers oh, and more sure. parents, more yep, children, exactly. more of those things. It doesn't quite make sense. Now, I understand we could parallel this with the story of Job. Job uh, lost, God took, and God gave, right? God gives and God takes away. That's where we get that whole idea from, yep. from the book of Job. The idea here is God, Jesus could be saying to them, um, I'm going to give back to you. And, and it could be all of those things. But I believe his words communicate what he's going to give, eternal life. Yes. There are going to be many times as much at this time and in the age to come. What is the content of that gift? Eternal life. I'm going to give you covenant relationship with me. And it it seems as though they were thinking that they had kind of sacrificed everything. And and I, I wonder if they thought, oh, yeah, we've really given up everything for the kingdom of God. When, when, when in actuality, that one sacrifice on that the whole kingdom of God is based hadn't been done yet. Right. Jesus was the one that was going to make the ultimate sacrifice. That was that that was going to be the sacrifice that was going to bring about in in a in a real sense the kingdom of God, the atonement for the sins of the world. That that's the sacrifice. I I, I can't even. I feel sorry for these guys in one sense because they're just like Jesus is saying, oh, oh, guys, guys yes. one of these days you'll get it. And, yeah. and they, they were, some of this was far beyond what they, could, what they could think about even at that point. They did not know everything that was going to happen at that point. Absolutely. So there is this great promise, and then he takes the 12 aside and says to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. Mm. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. And the meaning of this statement, now this is where it's really interesting, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. Yeah. And they did not comprehend the things which were said. Some might read that and say Jesus was telling them, but he was withholding the information from them. I'm not really sure that that's how we're going to, we're supposed to read that. Mm. I think the way we read it is that the meaning of this statement was hidden meant that they didn't comprehend it. Yeah. That's what the very next line uh, meant. But it was most assuredly incomprehensible to their worldview, to their file folder in yes. their brain. Yes. And that seems to be what Jesus is really getting I, at. I completely agree. It is, it's... It's very uh, notable. First of all, them going to Jerusalem, that didn't surprise, surprise. They, they knew they were going there, and they thought they were going to celebrate the Passover. That was, that was their gig. That's why they thought Jesus was going, and he's telling them all along. But here is the thing that really stood out to me, that when, when he says, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all the things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. So, he says, we're going up there, and everything that, that's been prophesied 
about the Son of Man is going to happen. Now, here's, here's where I had to really, I, it took me probably an hour to really get my head straight, my thoughts straight on, on, what, on, on what this means. And, and I don't know if anyone else, I, honestly, I don't know. There are many things in prophecy that at the time that we hear it, we don't completely grasp it until it's fulfilled or until we've seen it fulfilled. Or in this case, we can look back and see it's been fulfilled. And I don't, I'm not sure that Jesus was attempting to explain everything that was about to happen so that they could understand it. I don't think he, he did say a lot. He gave them some graphic details and they still didn't get it. He, uh, I, I think that I think, and I, I'm, I'm completely open to anything on this. I think that the purpose was to help them see that there were going to be specific events, and 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 of his death and ahead of time, so that after after the fulfillment, that they would see that this was a prophecy yeah. and that he fulfilled it. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I'm with you. I don't think he was trying to give a itinerary of everything that was about to take place, although it it is a very well crafted statement, right? That in the highlights of it, here's what's going to happen. Um, And I believe that that may in fact be why they didn't have a file folder for it, because there's not enough information to go on in some way. Notice that Jesus, throughout this whole thing, he refers, uh, he says, they are going to scourge him. He's speaking, you know, of someone else, at least in their mind, and not, he could have said, and after they have scourged me, they're going to kill me, and the third day, I am going to rise again. He doesn't do that. He paints this language of prophetic realities and the, and to come, and, and they don't seem to get it. But the argument that theologians have and scholars have on this is whether or not this statement that says, and this statement was hidden from them, was what is called a divine passive. And people do not, there is no consensus on this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So there are, for every person you're going to find that says, oh, I want to read it, that God hid it from them. You're going to read another article. You're going to read another scholar that says there's no way that you can know that for certain. It seems with the context of the text, what he's saying is that the statement was hidden from them. It it didn't make sense to them because they didn't comprehend what was going on. They They had a limited understanding. And that was okay, right? And so, but Jesus has been dealing with them the whole time on this. Yes. You would have thought that they would have known exactly who he was from the day he gave them a giant catch of fish out out of the same side of the boat they'd been fishing through all night. Yes. They didn't recognize who he was. And it doesn't come till later that Jesus is asking the question, who do you say that I am? And even when Peter answers correctly, Jesus says, it's not you that answered. Exactly. Right? My father has revealed this to you because you're... Dance. Yeah, I, I, is they 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 heard the words, they saw the acts, they saw the miracles, they heard the words right from Jesus' mouth, and they 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 saw every body language movement that he had, everything he could do to to that would have helped them see what he was trying to say, and. And they don't get they it. They still don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I feel like I'm in that spot yeah. a lot. <laughs> yes, this is this is most of the Christian life, isn't uh, it, right? Well, it is amazing because uh, as we've read before, the parables were, were given, parables were given uh, for those who would not hear Jesus at all. They didn't want to hear him. They refused to hear him. They had hardened their hearts. They were, they were being proud, whatever it is. But for the disciples... Jesus gives parables to the disciples. The the disciples don't get it, but what sets the disciples apart is that they go to Jesus and go, "Uh, we don't get it. Mm -hmm. And he explains it. So that is why they have eyes to see and ears to hear. They're willing to humble themselves. Well, in this situation, they don't get it. Now, we just don't have any recording of them saying, what did that mean? But it's quite possible that their response is, we don't know yeah, what you're yeah. talking about. Or better yet, right, just to kind of put this in a little bit of comic relief, Peter stands up, you know, and he says, he says, we've given away homes and yeah, followed yeah. you, right? And and Jesus goes, yeah, that's great. You're going to have rewards in heaven. Sit yes, down and shut yes. up, Peter. And then he goes, behold, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. 
And Peter goes, what's that have to do yeah, with what right, I just exactly, said? Right? right? That That's more likely what is happening here. There's just a whole lot of confusion. But here's, here's why it's important to stress these kinds of things. This was a real story that was playing out. Yes. Um, the, the Bible records this strange detail in its fullness, and it's beautiful. Yes. It's beautiful yeah. because when you read it, you actually can find yourself sitting. You, you're not a part of this story, but you can find yourself uh, right in the middle of the story watching it like you were there. Yeah. It's really vivid. It's yeah. really awesome. So I enjoy that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, to sum up that section, though, before we jump into these final verses of chapter 18, to sum up that section, it's really important for us to take away this idea that the rich young ruler wanted to know what he must do to gain what was called eternal life, which was known to be a relationship, which was known to be a, a knowing of God. In other words, the rich young ruler had done a whole lot of things, but he felt empty mm-hmm. in his life. Jesus says to him, I'll give you what you need to do. And that thing in its, in its pure essence is follow me. But Jesus is always going to tell us what is hindering us from doing that, yes. right? Now, if you want to really put this together, it's really powerful because it seems like Jesus is actually warning us of where our soil is thorny or rocky mm. and saying, here's a problem and it's going to cause a problem down the road. Why don't you just go ahead and get rid of it now? But the call is follow me. What is follow me? It's intimacy. It's a relationship with him. It's walking after him. It's learning. Uh, Jesus seems to be following an Aristotelian model. Aristotle was the first one to come up with this idea of, it may have been Socrates, but they're all student and teachers of each other. So so you have Socrates, you have Plato, and you have Aristotle. And and they would follow each other. There was this thing where they they would go and they would walk through these porticos and the, the students would be asked, come follow me. And they would learn as they walked through these porticos. It became a model of teaching. Jesus is influenced by this world, mm. right? This is a Greco-Roman world. Mm-hmm. He knows this, right? And so Jesus says, follow me. There's a direct copy of that kind of teaching that's going on here. But that, that meant in, in Socrates' day, in Aristotle's day, the, in Plato's day, that was an intimate relationship. Not everybody was asked to follow. So Jesus says, follow me. This man can't do it. The disciples then ask the question, they say, who can be saved? The connection of saved, the connection of eternal life, the connection of relationship are all intimately tied together. And what Jesus invites us all to do in order to have that relationship, that salvation, is to follow him. That's what we see in this. There are things that stand in all of our our ways, but we've got to be careful to put them aside. They can't be idols. So finally, we've got 35 through 43. Bartimaeus receives his sight. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. Uh, most likely the commotion, right? Mm -hmm. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. Uh, Again, they prevent children from coming to Jesus. Now they're telling the blind guy to shut up. But But they kept crying out, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) Mm. I love Jesus' questions, right? And the blind man said, are you missing something? (laughs) No, he says, and he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And he said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Thoughts on that? Oh my, this man was a, uh, is a man that obviously has an understanding, has heard of. I don't know if it's rumors at, at this point, Jesus is very well known uh, around that area. And Jericho was a was a city where a lot of things were happening, and it was a it was a vibrant city. So, 
there was a lot of talk going on, and this was a large crowd. And they, they at this point, they were following him day and night. It seemed like they could never get away from them. And this man, for for how he's heard uh, about Christ and how he's heard about some of the things that Jesus has done, probably by word of mouth, probably it's been voiced around. But when it says that 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 he's sitting by the road begging, and and hearing a crowd and the commotion of the crowd. He, he's asking what, what's going on, and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Now, this, is, this to me is notable in, in, verse, in verse 38. He calls out. He doesn't say Jesus of, of, of Nazareth. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right. The man had some background as to who Jesus was, or he had some, some teaching in the, in the Scripture, or he understood who he was crying out to yes. because he says all the right stuff. He says all the right stuff. And and it's it's it is amazing that those who were kind of leading the way, the entourage were saying, shut up, be quiet. You, yep. you gotta be quiet. And he just kept crying out yes. louder. He got louder. Son of David, have mercy yes. on me. Yes. He says all the right stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it would appear that 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 the reason why he would know these things has to do with the clearly intimate connection that the Jewish people have with the Samaritan people, especially as a kind of a product of disobedience. Mm-hmm. But but the the point still remains that something of Jesus's fame has gotten around. He he understands what it is. He understands that this is Jesus the Naz- the Nazarene, and yet he cries out, uh, "Jesus, Son of David, uh, have mercy on me." So right there, it seems to be that this guy is indicating. Uh, he recognizes not just who Jesus is by his fame, who Jesus is by his purpose, yes. by his agenda, by what he has come to do. The son of David. This is no small title here. No, right. So, so he's he's crying out. Um, now, there's a lot of conjecture that has been made, and you made a statement earlier on in the podcast that's really worth bringing back into the, com- the the conversation here, and that is sometimes it's people's wealth that gets in the way, and you you said it and just walked away from it, and you said sometimes it's people's poverty that stands in their way mm-hmm. from following Jesus. Uh, conjecture has been made about this situation that this man who uh, had been begging for him to receive his sight came at a deep cost. Mm. Here's the cost. He can't beg anymore. Right. This guy has to either go get a job or go do something. There's something going on there. There are people, so just kind of pull off of your previous statement, there are people whose poverty prevents them from following Jesus because following Jesus means you can't be identified by those things anymore. You're not allowed to keep walking around acting as though you're this or that. You are now a child of God. You are his, and you will you will be and you will do as he sets forth yes. for you to be yeah. and do. I yeah. think that there's something cool about that. It, yeah, it is complete good. conjecture, but it, it's a fun, uh, fun train of thought yeah. to follow. Well, we know, and I don't want to jump ahead, but we know what this man did when he regain, yes. regained his sight. He did totally the opposite of the rich young ruler. I mean, we see that this man began following Jesus and glorifying God. Yes. He I, sounds I, like those 10 the one leper of the 10 lepers, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And and I I I just I I we don't we don't hear more about him necessarily. We don't know what where he ended up or how, but he but he completely was following Jesus. Well, that's it for today, guys. And if you would, please like and share this podcast with your friends. And finally, remember 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work.